Good morning, everyone. We're so glad you're here with us today. Good morning, Smyrna campus. We love you guys. We're glad you're connected there in Smyrna. Everybody connecting with us online, we're happy that you have found us there. We are excited to begin a brand new message series today called Worldview. It's going to be a six-week teaching series. And I love the video intro that we just had. Isn't it an amazing time we live in that that you, we have now views of our world from outer space. I mean, it's not been that long ago that first happened in, in our culture. For the first time, we could see the earth from another location, from, from being far above it, far away from it, and have a view that others don't have. And if you have enough money, you can pay for a trip to space now on one of those millionaire's rockets and go see it for yourself and get your own personal view of the world from outer space. I don't know what they're saying. They're charging now hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, so I won't be going anytime soon until uh, we take up that special offering, right, that we're going to uh, try to help out with that. But uh, no, I'm okay just looking at the pictures and the videos. I think that's great to be able to do that. Um, it was a few years back, there were these two gentlemen, a little bit older gentlemen in their 80s. And uh, and one of them was on his deathbed. Their names were Mo and Sam. And Sam is, is dying, and Mo makes a trip over to see him there on his deathbed. And they're talking to each other. They had grown up together. And they got to talking about baseball and how much they both loved baseball, how much it was a part of their lives growing up. And they just were reliving the good old days, as we often do. And then Mo says to Sam, he said, listen, you're, you're obviously going to get on to heaven before me. So if there's any way possible, when you get there, can you get a message back to me about whether or not there's baseball in heaven? He said, well, I don't know if they'll let me do that or not, but if I can, I'll get a message back to you. I'll let you know. So he passes away, and, and a few nights later, Mo is lying in his bed asleep, and all of a sudden he hears, Mo, Mo. And Mo sits up in bed and says, uh, who is it? Who is that? He said, it's Sam. He said, no way. Sam's dead. He says, yeah, I, I'm in heaven. And, and you told me if I could to come back and let you know if there's baseball in heaven. And they let me do it. So I, I've got good news for you and bad news. He said, well, give me the good news first. He said, well, the good news is there is baseball in heaven. And it's great. He said, that's fantastic. I can't wait. He said, well, that's kind of the bad news. You're scheduled to pitch on Tuesday. <laughs> Why would we do a six-week series called Worldview? And here's the reason. All of us have a worldview of some kind. And our worldview determines how we look at life, how we look at marriage, how we look at all relationships, how we look at sex and gender, how we look at careers, how we look at money. It influences everything and every decision we make, the worldview that we have. And basically, there are two categories of worldview. One is what has been called a secular worldview. In the secular worldview, you wouldn't worry about baseball in heaven because you don't even think heaven exists. This is all there is. And if this is all there is, then all your decisions are made based on the temporary nature of life here, the temporary existence that you have here, and every decision is made without any thought of God or eternity in mind. That's the secular worldview. By the way, it is the fastest growing worldview in the world right now. 
the secular worldview. The other worldview that you could have is what has been called a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview believes that God's word is true. What it says about God being there and being real is true. What it says about eternity is true. What it says about design and purpose is true. And therefore, you make decisions with that view of life in mind. Now, you can imagine how totally different the decision process will be from a secular worldview to a biblical worldview. But the, the concern and the reason we're doing this study is this. More and more of the generations coming behind us today are solidly secular worldview and how they look at things. They see church as just something that some people choose to have in their lives and be a part of it, but it has no relevance to them. They're not interested in it. It's not that they violently oppose it. It's just that they don't care. They don't think it has any, any influence or input or should have any input in their lives. And so they don't see any need to be connected to or involved in the church or the work of the church or the teaching of the church. They see that it's just, it doesn't, in their mind, apply to them. And as that worldview that is secular begins to grow, we're seeing the effects of it in our culture. Because every decision that's made from that viewpoint leaves God out, leaves eternity out, leaves uh, God's plan and purpose and design out of the decision. And so decisions void of God and void of what we believe is the truth of God's word are often decisions that come back with consequences that they weren't expecting to have. You see, the long-term consequences of a secular worldview are beginning to be paid in our culture. So today, what I want us to do is look at, in the beginning today in this series, we're going to be looking at Five reasons it matters that we have and develop in the generations coming behind us a biblical worldview. Why it really matters that we do that. See, I'm so grateful to pastor a church where the elders and the staff here understand that what we're doing as the church, what we're teaching, what we're trying to equip you to teach your families is essential to the future, for the generations coming behind us, for our culture, for the world. It's it, this is critical. What we do is vitally important in the world. And yet sometimes we have tended to make this, this mission something that's almost secondary in our lives instead of the primary thing in our lives of pouring into the generations coming behind us the biblical worldview that God would want them to have. And, and here's how it looks, even in the church. We make higher priorities of sports and music and entertainment and education and academics and careers. We make those much higher priorities than developing worldviews that are biblical worldviews in our children. And, and you see it in every decision we make, if that's the case. See, it used to be that we would say we can't go to some other activity because we had church. Now we say we can't go to church because of the activity. Right? Hasn't it flip-flopped? 
Everything else is taking priority over developing a spiritual worldview, a biblical worldview, and the generations coming behind us. And, and part of the problem is, for many Christians, we think, well, the way we're going to get that done is when we are able to, we'll take our kids to church. And that will get it done. But you see, developing a biblical worldview goes much deeper than just getting them to church fairly regularly. There's so much more to it than that. And so I want to talk about five things uh, that, that are why it matters, five reason that, reasons it matters that we get focused on this again and we start doing a better job with it as God's people again. The first reason is this. A biblical worldview will provide wisdom for life, for us and for the kids coming behind us, the young people coming behind us. I don't know how many times I said, you know, I've heard old, old people say, kids today, right? Complain about kids today and how they're living and what decisions they're making and how they're dressing and how they're, these kids today, right? And yet I haven't, or maybe you haven't, taken seriously how important it is that we pour a biblical worldview into their hearts and minds so that they can make wiser decisions in their lives. We make all kinds of sacrifices to be sure they get opportunities in every other area of their lives, except often spiritual development in their lives. How much sacrifice have we made to make sure that happens? How much investment have we made to be sure that happens? The reformers of the church uh, that led in what has been called the Reformation had this phrase that they often used. It was sola scriptura. Sola scriptura. And what that translates into is scripture alone. And what they meant by that phrase was this. It was called the doctrine of sufficiency. They were saying that what God reveals to us in his word is not only sufficient, but it's really got the wisdom that we need for all of life. That that one source contains the wisdom that we need for every decision, every activity, every choice that we're going to make in life. But today's kids don't see the Bible as even relevant to their lives. I'm just, when I say today's kids, I'm not saying every young person. But more and more, the majority has come to the conclusion that Scripture has no relevance to their lives. And one reason that's happened is because we haven't done our jobs like we needed to. When I say we... A lot of you are thinking, well, the church didn't do its job. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Christian, adult Christ followers have not been willing to pour into these generations coming behind us like we need to. We've been selfish, self-focused, self-indulgent, just wanting what we wanted and our lives to be what we want them to be. And we've not sacrificed in this area of their lives like we have for the other areas of their lives. Man, I've seen parents take out a second mortgage to send their kids to the school they thought would be prestigious that would get them the job and the career they want, and they don't bother at all 
with teaching them anything about the authority of Scripture and the wisdom that's found there. What do we expect? It's going to be the long-term result of prioritizing everything but the sufficiency of Scripture. We complain about how our culture is getting more and more secular, more and more, less and less godly, less and less Christian in our culture around us. Well, what did we expect was going to be the long-term effect of prioritizing everything but that in our children's lives? That is what we sow. We've been sowing, and that's what the harvest is for what we've been sowing. That's why we're getting this harvest right now. Now, you can't go back and undo what we've done before. But friends, we better wake up and start today understanding that the Scripture is where we need to go for that wisdom. And we need to be pouring this into our children and the generations coming behind us. And not just my kids, but we need to be concerned about all kids. Because they're all going to grow up to be young adults and adults that are making decisions and impacting the world. And God put the church here. When I say the church, what am I talking about? All of us, not just the pastor, not just the leaders, but all of us are the church. He put the church here to develop a biblical worldview in the lives of the generations coming behind us. That's part of the role that we should be playing. I love what Paul said about this in Colossians. It's a great passage in Colossians 2, beginning with verse 6. Paul reminds these Christ followers, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. Strengthen in the faith as you were, what's that word? Taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Then he adds this, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental forces, spiritual forces, which could also be translated the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. You see, there's a warning that Paul puts there, and we're seeing it played out in our culture today. He says, be careful, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy that depends on human tradition, human reasoning, instead of on God's word and God's authority. And you look around the changing culture around us and you start complaining about, realize that's what's just happened in our culture. We haven't prepared the generations to stand firm and they've been deceived by deceptive and hollow philosophies of the world into thinking the world has the answers and God doesn't. That the world has the wisdom and God's word doesn't. That the philosophy of the world trumps the philosophy of scripture in their minds. Now, don't get me wrong. No matter how good a job we do with this, there will always be some who reject it and some who who will never accept and, and develop that and follow that. There will always be an element of that. But the numbers are far greater than they've been in our lifetime. Young people that are growing up to reject Christianity and everything connected to it. While we've been demanding the church cater to us, instead of seeing our role as the people who were supposed to be pouring into those generations. 
coming behind us. It's sad, but it's not hopeless. You see, the church is still here. God is still here. The scripture is still the powerful word that it's always been. And we still all have the opportunity to make a difference and turn things around and let God use us to be a part of the solution instead of a part of the problem. I love what it says about God's word in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is God breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking. Here's a good word, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If we get back to the word and living the word and teaching the word and setting the example of that and pouring that into the generations coming behind us, the word will do its work because it's powerful and effective. Instead of entertaining our kids, let's start training and equipping our kids to know truth, to be able to discern from the deceptive philosophies of the world and the clear teaching of the truth of the word of God. Let's get back to the serious work of raising up children who know and follow Jesus. Because in the end, that's going to be the most important thing, right? In the end, that's what we want for our kids, right? That's what we would like to see for every child growing up in the world today is to know and follow Jesus. 2 Peter 1, 3, he reminds us of this. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. How do we have everything we need to live life the way we're supposed to, the way God designed it to be lived? By our knowledge of him, of God, and his word, his wisdom, his teaching, his goodness, his love. Our knowledge of him is what should be directing our lives, but our kids are growing up without a knowledge of God. We're making sure they get a good education, yeah. They've got the latest clothes, the right brand of shoes that they're wearing. We'll sacrifice so much for that. But they're growing up without a knowledge of God, the clear teaching of the Word of God. And there are consequences to that. And we're beginning to reap that harvest as a people. So let's get it turned around. Let's understand why this matters. It matters because that is where they gain the wisdom they need for life. The second reason it matters is this. Is this is essential to develop the foundation for a lifelong faith in Jesus. It's essential for our generations coming behind us in the development of a lifelong faith in Jesus. There are some patterns that have developed that are clear. They're easy to see in our culture. Young people are walking away from the faith in larger numbers than ever before. That's the pattern. Now, within that pattern, we see some other patterns. Biblical illiteracy is one of those patterns. They grow up not knowing the Bible. Now, how can that happen in a Christian home? It's because in the average Christian home today, they spend very little time in the Bible with their kids but I take them to church. Yeah. We have them for an hour once a week. We're trying to control them and teach them, you know, and do the best we can. I'm so grateful, by the way, for our volunteers and staff that work with our children. They do an amazing job. We need more of you to step up and do that. We need more volunteers that will help. But let's thank them right now for the great job that they do. But friends, one hour a week 
If the preacher goes long, you may have an hour and 15 minutes, something like that, all right? Here's the problem with that. Look at how many hours the world has them. We send them off to government-run schools who are becoming, by the way, more and more secular in how they teach and approach things. Not every teacher, but overall, the government schools have become much more secular worldview than biblical worldview. And then we pay tens of thousands of dollars to send them off to a college that will challenge their faith and get them to turn away from it many times. But we want one hour a week at church to offset all of that as if somehow they're going to be strong enough to stand up against the challenges to their faith from a one hour a week when we do show up and get our kids there. Friends, that's not enough. That's not going to do it. They're going to grow up to be biblically illiterate. And when you're biblically illiterate, you don't know how to answer the challenges to your faith. That leads to the next thing, and that is a trend of biblical confusion. Not only do they not know exactly what the Bible teaches, but what little bit they do do know, here's what they do. They're confused about why they should believe it. Why should they believe what the Bible says? When they're hearing other things over and over again from other sources that say something totally different, why should the Bible have authority over those other sources? They don't know. They're confused about it because they haven't been taught the importance of that. And that leads to the next trend, and that's biblical immaturity. Biblical immaturity is played out this way. As they start getting older and their faith gets challenged, they don't know how to defend it now. They're not equipped to defend it. They don't know the Bible well enough. They don't know why they should have authority well enough. So when it gets challenged, what happens is they fold under the the challenge and they walk away from Christ and his church. It's not just children. It happens to adults too, but it starts, right, with children growing up without that. It doesn't mean we're going to have a 100% success rate even if we do the right things, but we could certainly improve on what's happening right now if we would get focused and take seriously our role to develop a biblical worldview in the generations coming behind us. 2 Timothy 3, I love what Paul says to Timothy. Listen to this description of Timothy's life. All right, 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 and 15. Paul says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from when? Infancy, you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you what? Wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul looks at a young man named Timothy. He's mentoring him. He's helping him. You know what he sees in Timothy? He sees how Timothy was raised up. And how was he raised up? From the time he was a baby. What were his family and friends pouring into him? God's word. You see, he was strong and wise. He was going to be able to be a leader for Christ. Why? Because from infancy, the family that loved him understood the priority of giving him the biblical worldview that God would want him to have to lead out in changing the world for him. We're so focused on making sure our kids are successful in the eyes of the world that we're not very focused on making sure 
they grow up to have the biblical worldview that will give them true success in the eyes of God. It's important that we understand that it is to develop a foundation for lifelong faith in Jesus because parents, let me tell you something. As a pastor, I see it over and over again. It breaks your heart when you see your kids make a choice to go a different direction and go down the wrong road and you see it lead to the hurt and the pain and the destruction that it causes in their lives and you know it didn't have to be that way. It's important for another reason. It matters for another reason. The third one is this, to shape character and conduct by real truth. To shape their character and their conduct by truth. Have you heard this phrase before? Faith is caught, not taught. You heard that? I've heard it before. But here's another one you've probably heard before. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. You've heard that one, right? It sounds really spiritual. Really good. Only it's false. It's not the philosophy we ought to have at all. And the Bible doesn't teach that. You know what the Bible teaches it teaches us? They need to both hear it and see it. That's what the Bible teaches. You say, I just live a good example and they'll get it that way. No, they won't. It's good to live a good example. A good life. But you know what they'll grow up thinking? Oh, they were just good people. They won't know that it's based on the teaching of God's word if you don't teach them that. If you don't tell them that. In fact, as adults, we could go out in the community and do all the good work you want to do and think we're going to bring the world to Jesus by doing good works out in the community. And that will never get the job done if we don't combine that with teaching them why we do the good things we do. It's because we love and follow Jesus and the teachings of Jesus would tell us to do those good things. If we don't add that to it, then they just think, well, man, what good people. They're just good old boys and girls over there at Lakeshore, right? They do good stuff over there, but we're not bringing them to Jesus that way if that's all we're doing. In fact, it puffs up our egos. It makes us feel good about ourselves, but it doesn't bring people to Jesus. We have to learn to make the connection that the Bible makes. I love, I, I use this a lot. And, and uh, the, we just had baby dedications last Sunday at our second service and had some families come and dedicate their children to the Lord. And one of the passages I always use is found back in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, the reason this passage is so important is God is, is giving instructions to his people. They're about to enter into this land of promise. They're going to have all kinds of wonderful opportunities there, all kinds of blessings there. And he's reminding them, when you get there, don't forget to do the most important things. Because when life is good and you got good things going on, you got good stuff and you got plenty of to eat and a nice place to live, what tends to happen to God? He gets pushed in the background, doesn't he? We don't need him so much right now until you have a teenager that's rebelling and turning away and hurting themselves and others. Then you say, oh man, I want the church to help fix my teenager for me now, right? 
So he says, to keep it from getting down that path, here's what you need to do. Listen, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. So he's saying to the adults, you start there with your personal relationship with God. You make sure you love God. All your heart, all your soul, all your strength is poured in. Your kids need to see that what's the highest priority in your life? God is. They do need to see that example, right? But he doesn't stop with you. Just set a good example and your kids will get it. He didn't stop there. Here's what he went on to say. Listen. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. It's got to start there. Then he says, impress them on your children. That word translated impress, uh, it sounds a little bit hard, but it means like you take a, 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 a metal uh, mold and, and you're stamping it into metal and you hit it with a hammer and put it into the metal. There have been many times I wanted to do that. <laughs> He's not literally saying smack your kids upside the head, but the concept is, the concept is, Man, use that kind of effort to get this into the hearts and minds of your children. It says impress them on your children. Here, here's how you do that. Talk about them. Don't just set the example. Do what? Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. How often would that be? All the time. You look for teaching opportunities in everyday life all day long, every day. And you actually talk about it with your kids all day long, every day. Talk about doing all these times. And then he says, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. People sometimes ridicule, you know, scriptures on the wall of your homes and, you know, and, and, and uh, bumper stickers on your car or fish symbol. Uh, those things alone don't accomplish much. But when you combine that with talking about it and you're setting the example and you're living it out, all those things put together make an impression on your children as they're growing up. And that's what he's talking about here. Impress these things into the hearts and minds of your children. Now, you know who he's not telling to do that? He's not telling the church organization to do that. Who's he telling to do that? Parents, grandparents, families. You guys do that. You see, the church is going to come alongside you and support that. And help equip you to do that. But whose responsibility is it? It's yours. It's the parents. It's the grandparents. It's the extended family. It's the people that have influence over other kids. It's all of us working together to impress this on our kids. Ephesians 6, 4, it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in, and the words that are used here are powerful, training and instruction of the Lord. He's saying, put your kids into training. We're really good about putting our kids into athletic training. We'll pay for them to go to schools to learn how to do this and block and tackle and run fast and lift weights and all that stuff, right? If they're athletes or for music, we'll put them in music classes so they can develop that. But how much are we doing to develop them spiritually? What are we investing there? What time and effort and energy are we putting into that with our kids? And again, this is not to lay a guilt trip on anybody. This is to get us to wake up and make some changes that we need to make while we have the opportunity. 
Let's get it done. Let's get back to what we need to be focused on the most as the priority. Here's the fourth reason. And that is so they can answer the big questions of life. To answer the big questions of life. Every kid is going to grow up with the big questions of life. Every child is. Yours is no exception. They may not ever say them out loud, but they will think them in their heart and their minds. The big questions. Now, here's how I know we've not been doing a really good job with this, and we're reaping the consequences of it. Not only do the stats show they're walking away from church and walking away from Christ, but here's some other stats. Violent death is now a serious public health problem in the United States. It wasn't for a long, long time. It is now a huge public health problem in the U.S. Among 15 to 24-year-olds in the U.S., homicide is the second leading cause of death, and suicide is the third leading cause of death. You see the direction we're going? You get up to the next age range, 25 to 34-year-olds, suicide, it flips. Suicide's the second leading cause of death for that age group, and homicide is the third leading cause of death in those young adults. We're reaping what we've sown, or maybe what we haven't sown. What we haven't put in there that we needed to put in there. Friends, the trends are not good. But we have the answer. We have the source. We have the, the, the power source that's needed to turn that around. But we've got to put it into the hearts and the minds of our kids. The number of killings in the U.S. soared in 2020, jumping nearly 30% since 2019 for the largest single-year increase in the history of our country. You say, well, we had a pandemic. Yeah, that contributed to it, but it just brought out more of what was there or not there. That's what the pandemic did. And friends, there are pockets where it's worse than that. And that's why the average is there, you know. The big questions, where did I come from? Why am I here? Why does evil exist? What's the solution to the problems of my life? Those are the big questions that they're looking for answers for. And you know what? The world falls flat in their answers that are going to be sufficient for our kids. If we are just evolved pond scum and this is all there is, then why not just take what you want and don't care who you hurt to get it? If that's all there is to it anyway. Right? That's what it leads to. It leads to that kind of emptiness and hollowness and anarchy in culture. And we have evidence from cultures before us that it always leads there. We're not going to be the exception. We're not. So we've got to wake up and get refocused because it matters. In Acts 17, I love what Paul said. Paul went into a culture there in Athens, Greece. It was a, a, a culture of pagan idol worship. They had gods for everything and statues to their gods all over the place. They had philosophers that would come just like we do today. These well-known philosophers that would come and at the Areopagus, they would share for hours what their philosophy of life was. And they had all this pagan worship going on around them and all these different gods that they believed in. And in the middle of all that, Paul says in verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live 
than temples built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. For he is not far from any one of us. For listen to this. In him, we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Paul said, you need to refocus the big answers to the big questions of your life. There is a God. He made us all. He designed us with a plan and a purpose. There's a reason we're here. And we matter to our creator, every one of us has equal value in his eyes. You see, our children need to grow up knowing that, being assured of that. And that leads to the fifth reason it's so important. That is to equip individuals for service to Christ. A biblical worldview doesn't just shape what a person believes. It equips us to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, it equips us to, for the, to live for the good of others and for the glory of God, regardless of what vocation they go into or how much money they make or don't make. It equips them to positively, positively impact the world for Christ, no matter what job they have or what title they hold or, or, or how high up they go in government or athletics. It, it equips them to fulfill the design purpose of their creator. And that's the only thing that's ever going to fill the voids in their lives is to know they are living out the design life that God had for them. You see, that's what fills the voids. That's what takes away the emptiness when they know they matter to their creator and God has a planned purpose for their lives. It gives them self-worth and value much more than a trophy they got for just showing up. Right? So I want to challenge us all to understand why it's such a big deal. In Ephesians 2 and verse 10, Paul said this, We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Isn't that amazing? If we could get our children, the generations coming behind us to grasp this, that before they were even formed in their mother's womb, and by the way, it says that he formed them there. We need to know that too, that their creator formed them in their mother's womb. He designed them. He put them there, and he gave them that life because he had a plan for that life before they were even born. He prepared in advance for that person to do the good stuff that he designed for them to do before they ever appeared on the earth. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that give greater value to life than the worldview of secular humanism that says we just evolved here by chance? What purpose is there to that? There's none. I'm not saying we failed. I'm saying we haven't done as good a job as we should have done. But it doesn't have to remain that way. If beginning today, we recommit ourselves to understanding why worldview is such a big deal and we refocus on developing the worldview that, that God wants the generations coming behind us to have. But here's the thing. We can't pour that into them unless we have it in us. You have to have it in you to pour it into anybody else. 
Maybe there's somebody today who's ready to take that step of understanding that you are here for a reason by God's design and purpose. He wants you to have the life he designed you to have to accomplish the good work he prepared in advance for you to do. And it starts with you surrendering your life to him and his plan and purpose. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that in Christ, we have purpose. We have value. And Father, if we could could embrace that, if we could understand you designed us for a reason, we're not just here by chance and random mutations over time. We're actually here because you crafted us together and we we are your masterpiece, your handiwork, valued by you so much that you would send your son Jesus here to pay a price for us that we we would otherwise have to pay ourselves because of our sins. And, and you, and you, Father, love us so much that you want us to spend eternity with you. This is not all there is. You've designed more for us. You've designed eternity for us and a place for us there with you. And in Christ, your design is that we can spend that eternity there. Father, if there's anybody who needs to come to Jesus today and follow after him, I pray they would take that step today. If there's anybody here struggling with value and worth, I pray that today they've been reminded of how much you value them and how much worth you place on them. And may they live differently because of that. Live with purpose and passion. May we all begin to live again with the the obedience to the calling you have in our lives to pour into those coming behind us intentionally helping them to know and learn the biblical worldview that they matter to and they are valuable to and God loves them and has a plan for their lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.